Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Grain Feed brought to you by EverAg. This is your weekly news feed for all things grain and all things feed. Each week, we bring you updates on the markets with unique perspectives, an amazing team of analysts with the intention of helping dairy and livestock producers manage their risk. I'm your host, Jim Matthews, reporting from the Chicago office on a planting-friendly spring morning here in the Midwest. Joining me today, as always, from Texas, Director of Feed Procurement, Mr. Jake Kingsley, and returning to the grain feed from the heart of Boilermaker Country, Director of Grain Market Intelligence, Ms. Shelby Myers. Team, how are we today? Doing pretty good this morning, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you, Shelby? I'm doing great. It's a happy day. Happy day? Why is that? Gorgeous out. Like you said, it's planting weather. This is when you dust all the cobwebs off. Yeah. You start, you know, putting pledge everywhere in your house so you smell lemon fresh all the time. That is nice. That's nice that that's a family tradition of yours, Shelby, to have your house smelling that way every spring. That's wonderful. Or you just open the windows up and hope that the fresh air brings something better smelling. Yeah, there's that too. Depending on what the neighbors got cooking. Folks, we got a lot to talk about today. We've touched on the planning already here and we're going to get to that. But first, Paige, if you would kindly timestamp the broadcast. It is Thursday morning. Markets have been moving a little bit today. We had our export sales numbers this morning and then another big sale to China on the corn front. So we had a little bit of a bump, but right now corn does remain mostly under pressure. We have December futures trying to make their way back to that seemingly elusive 550 support level, but we're getting awfully close, trading 553 as we record Thursday morning, whereas the soy complex continues to trade the other way. Beans remaining nice and firm, old crop back up over 15, and November over 13, and that pesky little byproduct, meal, back firmer once again today with these meal futures back up towards that 420 per ton level. So a bit of a tale of two different markets here between grain and the soy complex. So something to keep an eye on. Shelby, that being said, let's kind of backtrack a little bit here. And because we've been in this tale of two markets, old versus new crop for corn specifically too, let's let's kind of take a step back towards, we'll look at that March 31st report, which was right all the rave for planting but often overlooked is that stocks number for that report, stocks as of March 1st. But we also had a WASDI report this week on Tuesday, which often gets overlooked as well, that poor little April WASDI report. So Shelby, you mind just walking us through each of those old crop influential figures here this morning? Sure. So yeah, that quarterly stocks number is the number that we get as an update to essentially the pace towards the estimate on the WASDI line item for ending stocks. And this month in particular, across the board, corn, soybeans, wheat, lower than expected stocks. And, you know, the speculation was, you know, there's less corn on hand, particularly on farms that has gone to feed. And so overall, market analysts expected the WASDI to reflect that change. And USDA did not do that. In this week's WASD, what USDA did was they lowered the import number, 10 million bushels, and then they lowered the food, seed, and industrial number by a matching 10 million bushels, which offset both sides of the balance sheet. Thus, 
no change in price, no change to the feed number, feed and residual, which is usually where that adjustment would take place. And it leaves a lot of questions of, did USDA punt any adjustments to the corn balance sheet? Or are they saying not enough information for the April WASD? Let's see how the next one, two, three, four months go as we start to round out the marketing year. And I always point out to growers at this time of year too, you have to pay attention to multiple columns on the WASD because next month is when they start putting the new crop on the far right column and they can still make adjustments to the old crop. And so you've got to watch those line items closely. And that's why we're here to do what we do so that we can point point out when those changes are made. That's exactly right. And the I think the market was, or at least we were, I was a little disappointed in the lack of action from the USDA on the old crop corn numbers. Um, and one other item they may have punted as well was the any revisions to exports. They were aggressive on cuts in the March report for U.S. export demand. And then we've had a nice run over the last few weeks for demand for U.S. corn. They chose to not touch that, right, Shelby, on this report. So again, maybe that's one that they have to either assume they will not cut exports more going forward. It's probably improbable they would then turn around and you know rebuild that export figure. But uh, yeah, very curious little report for the USDA this month. And as you've said, Shelby, does not done a lot for pricing impact. Can we turn to new crop then? Because again, back to that March 31st, Aside from that stocks report, you had the much discussed planting. And then, as you noted, in the upcoming WASDs, we will shift to new crop ultimately in that May number. So what's going on in the new crop numbers? Yeah. So with USDA putting out these estimates, this is survey based. It's always taken at that first, second week of March. And so I always take this report with a grain of salt. The report this year said 92 million acres of corn and 87 and a half million acres of soybeans. And 87 and a half million, I think we tend to be a sleeper on that number because that's really where we've been consistently the past couple of years. It matches exactly with last year's planted acres. And what's interesting about that is, you know, we're going to start to have a conversation of where else do we plant soybeans? And do you start pulling acres from corn to plant soybeans? And that's only limited to a certain geography in the U.S. And so, you know, we're looking at that soybean to corn ratio and asking those questions. But in this report in particular, the question you have to start asking is, what about cotton acres for corn? And you look at the South, look at Alabama, Georgia, uh, Missouri, where we saw cotton acres on a decline for this year and their corn acres are up big. Uh, Mississippi is another one that, and Louisiana too, that Louisiana is down 33% in cotton acres, but up 13% on their corn acres. And you're seeing a lot of those shifts among those Southern states switching from cotton to corn. And so that attributes a lot to that bigger corn number. And I think the other thing you gotta look at is how much prevent plant we've had the last three years. And is this the year that that all finally comes back into production uh, and we're not filing as many prevent plant crop insurance claims as we have the last few years. Good deal. Thank you for that, Shelby. And I know I, after that March 31st report, the immediate question, seeing that somewhat large corn figure, especially compared to what the government gave us last year on projected acreage, the first questions from a lot of folks were like, where is it, Where is this corn acreage expansion going to come from? And so we appreciate that the deep dive you've done into that cotton acreage. 
I would like to turn to Jake on that in a moment, but more of an unofficial survey and our amateur uh, analysis, if you will. Um, like Jake and I were in Sioux Falls two weeks ago, I believe, for the Central Plains Dairy Expo. Talk of everyone across the Midwest at that time was cannot imagine getting into the fields in the next two to four weeks. Too cold, too wet, too much snow, especially for a lot of our friends in the Dakotas. And just a couple of weeks later, it is gorgeous, at least here across some of the I states. Um, it is warm. It feels like it has been dry enough for guys to get out there. And the sentiment has shifted a decent amount and across the corn acreage of folks already being out there. Are, are you seeing the same and hearing the same in Indiana? Yeah, so I've spotted a few planters. Um, the The chatter around us is things dried out a lot quicker than anybody expected, especially with the amount of rainfall that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe it didn't seep in deep, as deep into the soil as everybody thought. And so things have dried out uh, pretty quickly in the last couple of days, but we're looking at the long-term forecast too. And so uh, we've got some folks looking at that and saying, you know, if it starts getting a little bit cold next week, I don't want to put in a crop that early. Uh, maybe I do, maybe I don't, but uh, this is still temperamental weather time. And so maybe you wait a little bit longer, but I know right now it's tempting to jump out there uh, and at least do some field work. Yeah, at least do some field work. And just touching on weather, I know across at least northern Illinois next week is going to be cooler and wetter once again. But at least, like you said, this week has given folks an opportunity to start prepping for that potentially aggressive pace, maybe the third or fourth week of April instead of the first or second week of May, like a lot of guys were speaking towards a couple of weeks ago. So again, thank you for that, Shelby. Jake, let's turn to you. If it's okay with you, we'll talk about this cotton versus corn conversation. Some pretty big acreage swings. Again, these guys aren't the the corn planters of the country, of course, but you start taking away cotton from some of these guys in the South in favor of corn. What does that do for our dairymen in the Southern and Southeast US uh, that are feeding these products to their animals. I think you'll maybe see a more dramatic effect in the corn market for those guys in the Southeast particularly, because they didn't see necessarily the huge spike in cottonseed prices that everybody else in the Western half and Northern parts of the country saw last year. They had plenty of cotton there. So I'm sure they'll see a little bit of a jump up, but they've got a lot of cotton in their backyard still. And soy oil, Futures are down a little bit, so that's maybe tempered the the crush demand a, a touch and allowed a little more whole seed to remain in the markets there. But having more corn, I think, is certainly beneficial to them. They don't have to bring it in from as far north and west. They're paying a little less on rail freight that way. Um, so I think they, they stand to benefit from that piece of it. And then you take a look at, okay, what's happening in Texas with their cotton crop and corn acres and, and continued drought conditions in Kansas and Nebraska and uh, the Dakotas and Minnesota are better off, I think, than they were this time last year, but still a touch drier than they'd probably like to be. So you start to look at that piece. You got to be a little bit leery and, and again, nimble in getting things bought here. Folks are getting out and starting to plant. Typically, that turns to starting to sell a little bit of new crop into the marketplace there. And then all of a sudden, offers start to become a little more available and start to see numbers shuffle around a little bit. So we'll keep an eye on that and try to catch a little bit of a break 
in corn basis numbers for our folks that are dependent on these rail lines moving it west out of those states. Um, and we'll look for some opportunity to catch some better cottonseed prices. But we are at risk here where we have better values than we did last year, but they're not anywhere near historically average. Um, and they may end up being the best numbers that we can see this year if things stay dry. So we've got some time to be patient there. Uh, no need to panic today, but we're watching it closely. And if it looks like things are going to continue to trend dry and warm, then we'll have to take some action a little early. But we're kind of waiting and see how the weather plays out here over the next couple of weeks. Like Shelby said, it's still there's still some time for a little bit of temperamental uh, weather changes over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Thank you, Jake. And yeah, it is very important to stress that it is very early, right, in terms of planting here in the Midwest. Now, folks down near Jake have been very active already, but back up by us, it's very early. A lot of headline grabbing type of weather forecasts often hit us week to week in terms of what could be catastrophic for planting delays versus uh, just might push us back three or four days and you know load up the coolers and get out there and grind for a few days uh, to get everything in the ground. But it's always a very good conversation and to reflect on just a year ago, we actually were severely delayed for quite some time. So sometimes that storyline does play out and we see elevated pricing continue to build into May and perhaps early June like we did one year ago. So it's important to have these conversations. Let's borrow from Kathleen and Phil real quick before we go. On their bold predictions, we have a weekly crop progress and planning report now every Monday afternoon from the USDA releasing their crop progress. So Shelby, what was the corn planting progress nationally this Monday? Yeah, so for this past week, week ending uh, April 9th, we had 3% of U.S. corn planted. Just 3%. And that's not far from the average, right, Shelby? That's maybe a touch above you. Yeah. Average this week is about 2 for that same week is about 2% on average. That's the five-year average. Um, I think anything that we've seen as the highest is about 4 to 7%. Okay. Um, would be the highest range. So, again, to stress how early we are in the season. But bold predictions for Monday's crop progress report, Shelby. The national corn planting pace, what will it be on Monday afternoon? I thought a lot about this. We're going to double. We're going to go be at 6%. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Jake? I did not think about this very much, which is why my answer is 8%. I think some folks are going to get a little bit excited. Still keeps us under 10%, but I think some folks are going to get out there and get after it for a little bit. Okay, so Jake, you are anticipating, and you've been talking to me all week, unfortunately for you, I know, you talk to me too much. It's been very nice, warm, sunny here. I've been bragging about it here in Illinois. So you're confident we're going to jump from 3 to 8% planted nationwide. I think so. Okay, Jake, can I pin you on the Texas progress, which is currently at 61% planted? Where will Texas be on Monday? Oh, they they might just creep up to like 65 or so. I think you're the the difference is is that that large percentage of Texas is the central and southern part of the state. I don't know that they're necessarily running heavy in the panhandle just yet. So they'll probably hold out for a little bit of moisture there before they really get aggressive. So okay. we may be in a little bit of a lull here. 
Jake, I'm going to ask you about this report and then we'll let everybody go. But the three I states, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, which of the three was actually on the board this week for any corn planting progress? Uh, I think it was Indiana. Shelby, is that true? It's not. It was Illinois. I feel like he was, Jake, he was setting you up for that. I know. It's a typical, typical weekly deal. It was one out of three. I mean, at least you had multiple choice this week. So I gave you a little bit better of an opportunity, I think. But you did very well. And I'm excited to see the Texas and nationwide planting numbers for next week. So thank you to you both. A wonderful episode with you guys. A big thanks to Shelby for returning to the show. Great to have your insights, as always. We'd also like to thank Corey and the Everag Insights crew for their support. And thank you to Paige for production magic. And thank you to the viewers for watching the grain feed. Contact information is on the screen. We greatly appreciate your feedback. That's all for today. We'll see you next time on the grain feed.